like downtown. That was great. Sometimes I wish the adults had that kind of enthusiasm. <coughs> reverence is one of those interesting things, you know, what some people think is reverent, other people think is boring. What some people think is reverent, other people think is too wild. I guess reverence comes from the heart, doesn't it? So we are continuing our walk through the Word for 2018, as you recall, I've encouraged us to read through the Bible for 2018 following this one reading plan. And if you are doing this, this week was a very long, it's probably 40 chapters. I just finished it this morning. How many of you are doing this still? Can I see your hands? I want to get somebody up here soon doing a testimony about what it's meant to them. It's made for me to read passages that I typically don't read. Some of them seem boring, some of them seem confusing, but it is the Word of God, so I want to reflect on that. So in this, we are in the book of 1 Kings. Finished it this week. Solomon has died after reigning 40 years, and the kingdom is now divided. The top part of the kingdom is 10 tribes. It's called Israel. The lower southern portion of the kingdom is two tribes, Benjamin and Judah. That's called Judah. And the stories alternate as you read through 1 Kings of a good king up north, a bad king down south, switching around good, evil, the best, the worst. And we come to these words in 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 29 to 33, and it says, Ahab. Ahab began to reign over Israel for 22 years, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. He took for his wife Jezebel, and they served Baal. That's a false god. And they worshipped him. He erected an altar for Baal. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And then out of nowhere, in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, we get a man named Elijah that steps forward. Elijah was a strong man. His name means Jehovah is God. And it says in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I served, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So this prophet just shows up out of nowhere and he goes to the king and somehow he is able to say to the king, there's not going to be any rain until I say there's going to be rain. So it begins with Elijah speaking to King Ahab, but God gives Elijah the okay to say it will rain in an amount of time after this. It's not a smart thing to say to an evil king. Like, I'm in control here. I'm in control of the rain. You might control the money of the kingdom. You might control your servants. You might control the palace. But I can pray and make it rain and make it not rain under God's blessing. 
Quite an interesting thing to say to the king. Then Elijah is led to the brook Kareth where he's fed by ravens. Then he sees a widow's son restored to life as they are fed miraculously by a jar of oil and flour. So Elijah is a man who prays repeatedly. He acts on his faith and then he watches miraculous things happen. So that's what I want you to think about today, about prayer. And people tell you to pray. People pray with you. You pray yourself, perhaps. We pray in church. We pray standing. We pray kneeling. And sometimes we must say, I wonder if my prayers go any higher than the ceiling. Does anybody hear my prayers? Does God really care? Why did God do this one here, but he didn't do that there? And I don't know all of those answers. But if you have your Bible, let's see what the Bible says. Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter 18, verses one and two, turn in your Bible. Is it okay if I read my Bible in church? First Kings chapter 18, verses 1 and 2 says, After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. This is after he said there'd be no rain. In the third year, saying, Go, show yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain upon the earth. So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. That's where Mount Carmel is. So after three years, he goes back to the evil king. He knows that there will be rain soon, but he doesn't know when. God tells him to do something. He's obedient to God's call. Elijah is asked to step out on faith before he sees the results of his faith, the results of his prayer. And that's an interesting thing when God calls you to do something when you don't know what the results will be. That is the ultimate in faith. It's doing the right thing at the right time and leaving the right results to God. Now, I'm not sure if you heard that because I had that underlined in my notes. So I knew it was good. So the ultimate in faith is doing the right thing at the right time and leaving the right results to God. Can I get an amen? Because I'm not up here just talking to myself. I spent at least five minutes on this this week as I was walking from the car to here. So Elijah knows that God will keep his promises, but he doesn't know when. So it hasn't rained for over three years. There's not a cloud in the sky. And God says, it's going to rain. And Elijah hears him. And he believes God, even though he can't see the results of his prayers. And it says, later in chapter 18, we'll read this, that Elijah says he hears the sound of a heavy rain. My ESV says he hears the sound of a rushing rain. He hears it even though it hasn't happened because he trusts the God that will make it happen. So after three and a half years of drought, Elijah confronts Ahab and the 850 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. That, that's the story here in, in chapter 18. They're, they haven't had any rain in three years and yet part of this thing is is Elijah says, bring these prophets here. Now you pray to Baal and I'll pray to God. Wonder what Baal 
people's doing? Why isn't he answering your prayers? Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he can't hear you. Maybe you need to say it louder. Pour more water over. Pour more water over. Pour more water over. Even though they're in a drought. And God answers. He prays for God to show himself. And God comes down in lightning and eats up his offering. That's an immediate answer to prayer. And yet this other prayer for rain is taking three and a half years. So it raises a question, how do you pray when you don't see the results to your prayers? Now he knew God would keep his promise, but he did not know when. That's why in James it says, the passage that Kathy read, it says, Elijah was a, a man just like us, or he was a person. He was a man just like us, or he, if you were a woman, he would say he was a woman just like us. He was one of us. He wasn't superhuman, he was just a person, but he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years, and then again he prayed and it did rain. So it's praying and not seeing the results. Turn over in chapter 18, verses 41 to 46. Same chapter, towards the end of the chapter. It says, And Elijah said to Ahab, Go up, eat and drink, for there is the sound of the rushing of rain. That's the heavy rain passage. So Ahab went up to eat and to drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. He had just been up there with the prophets of Baal. He had just been the mighty man up there. He went back up again. And he bowed himself down on the earth and he put his face between the knees. He's flat out supplicating before God. God, hear my prayer. God, answer me. And he said to his servant, and here's a guy I feel sorry for in this story. This is a guy getting in all his steps on his Fitbit. He says, and he said to his servant, go up now. Look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there's nothing. And he said, go again, seven times. And at the seventh time, he said, behold, a little cloud like a man's hand is coming from the sea. And he said, go up, say to Elijah, prepare your chariot and go down, lest the rain stop you. He's like saying to Elijah, the rains are coming. You better get out of here. You better go down if you want to make it in your chariot. I don't know if you have windshield wipers on that thing. You better get out of here. The rain is a coming. And in a little while, the heavens grew black with clouds and wind, and there was a great rain. And Ahab rose and went to Jezebel, and the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. And he gathered up his garments and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So the servant, you saw that he went up and down seven times. You'd think he'd say, like, hey, Elijah, you know, you prayed. I went up. Nothing. I came down, I told you there was nothing. So you prayed, and I went up, and there was nothing. And then I came down. And then you told me to go up again, and you prayed. You didn't do that once, you didn't do that twice, you didn't do that three times, you did that seven times. And finally on the seventh time, I see this little thing, looks like a man's hand out there. Elijah told Ahab that he heard the sound of a heavy rain. So I looked up that word heavy because the ESV says rushing. And this word is used 80-some times in the Old Testament. And 62 of the times it means it's translated as multitude. So what it means 
It means an abundance of something. It means a multitude of something. It means many of something. It means a roar. It means rushing. It means riches. It means when something is done, it is done really fully and completely. So he hears the sound of this full rain just coming on down. It's not a light sprinkle. It's not where you have your wipers on intermittent. This is a full thing where you got your wipers back and forth and you're not even sure. I hate that, you know, when you're driving and your wipers are on full and you still can't see. That's scary there's so much rain. People pull over. People put on their flashing, their hazard lights. And I want to go, you're not supposed to drive with your hazard lights on. Turn off your hazard lights. You know that's true, right? You're not supposed to drive with your hazard lights. Can I get an amen about driving with your hazard lights? Well, pastor, I'm driving with them. Nobody can tell me I'm not driving with them. You are not supposed to drive with your hazard lights on. Thank you. See, now we got church going on. It took the hazard light. Yes. Now I'm going to talk about the blinkers. Then I'm going to talk about the bright lights. See, now we got church. If that's what it takes, that's what I'll preach on. So he says, the sky's completely clear, but I hear something. I hear God moving. I hear God moving in this richness. I hear God moving in this heavy rain that's coming. It's not here, but it's coming. You see, so that makes me think about something. You got God's reality. The rain is coming. The prayer will be answered. But that you also got God's timing. Reality. Answers. Timing. So for me, I've been thinking about this all week. It's not my timing. It's God's timing. And honestly, I don't like God's timing. I like my timing. I want things done in the way that I want them done when I want them done. It makes perfect sense to me. So I would like to pray for what I want to pray for, and then I would like the answer right in front of me. Am I the only one who feels that way? You're not sure if you're supposed to aim the men or not. Is this a trick question? Jesus? When in doubt, Jesus? And if it's not Jesus, Satan? It's one of the two. For example... Thinking back to when Vani, my wife, and I moved here, we decided in November of 2016 that we would say yes to being interviewed by your people, by you, your people. But my boss, who's superior to me in every way, Harold Cunningham, said, Let's not do the interview till January because of the Christmas hustle and the bustle. So between November and January, we were planning on being here, and you were setting that up as well. Well, my wife, Vani, has discovered online that you can find almost any house you want online. She discovered sites such as Realtor.com, Zillow.com, uh, Trivia or Truvia or something like that. So by the time... We got here in January for the interview. She already had homes lined up for us to go look at. That's how sure and confident we were that this was going to work out. In fact, we were interviewed here on a Sunday at 11 a.m. 
We looked at a house Sunday at 10 a.m. We looked at a house before we even came for the interview. Not that we were overconfident. We just wanted to be prepared. We're like Boy Scouts. Always be prepared. And then after the interview, which went from like 11 to 12, or maybe it was longer than that, we went to look at other houses. So by the time we left on Tuesday morning, I believe, we had actually put an earnest money payment of, I don't know, 1500 or something, on a townhouse that we liked. And now we had three months to sell our house in Orlando so that we could get this townhouse. So I know what you're saying. You're saying to yourself, preachers, is quite interesting. But what in the world has that got to do with prayer? Well, here's what it has to do with prayer. We prayed over the next three months, Lord, sell our house in Orlando so that we can buy this three-bedroom lovely townhouse with all wood floors, with wood-burning fireplace, in Savannah, we prayed. And then at the end of those three months, we had not sold our townhouse, which meant that we lost the contract on that townhouse. We got our money back, fortunately. Praise God for that. But that deal was done. And oh, I'll tell you, Mrs. Womack shed some tears on that one. Why, God, we prayed. Why didn't you answer our prayers? So then we moved here. In the end of March, and we stayed with the Gates family who very graciously let us stay with them. Otherwise, I don't know what we would have done. We've had to rent for about a year. And meanwhile, we kept looking, and we found another house we liked. And I gave them a $1,000 earnest money payment. And they called me back later the same day and said, we can't take your payment because you haven't sold your house in Orlando. And oh, I'll tell you, Mrs. Womack shed some tears on that one, too. Not Mr. Womack. Come on now. You know me. <laughs> and then we found another house, and I took my checkbook to this house. And you know how intimidating my checkbook is. Because it's got a balance of, I bet you, $500 in it. That's not easy to walk away from when you're a realtor and you want to sell a house. Because I'm Mr. Moneybags. That's what they call me, Mr. Moneybags. MBM, Mr. Moneybags. So I took my checkbook to this other house right over here, and I said, I would like to give you some money for this house. And they said, we can't, we can't take your money because you haven't sold your house. And I'll tell you, Mrs. Womack shed some tears. Meanwhile, we had to wait, and we prayed, Lord, sell our house. Is it not the first townhouse? Is it not the second house? Is it not the third house? Why hasn't our house sold? Have you ever had that experience with prayer? You pray. Lord, I'm very earnest in my prayers. Why aren't my prayers being answered in the way that I want them to be answered? Now, this is just a house, which is very important. But some of you have much more serious concerns that you are praying about than a house. Because houses come and go. I mean, it's very important to love your house. But some of you have health concerns. Somebody you know has died or you prayed for them and you prayed that they would get well and they didn't. Some of you have lost loved ones. Some of you have lost a marriage as you prayed for it. 
Some of you have prayed for a job and you've lost it anyway. You prayed to find a job and you're unemployed. You, you pray that your money would stick around and yet you see the balance of your money shrinking and you're not Mr. Moneybags like I am. But you prayed, help me to be Mr. Moneybags or Miss Moneybags. Why aren't or isn't our prayers answered in the way we want? Now, I'm not the expert on prayer, so I don't have one answer to that that'll satisfy you. Oh, I do have one answer, but it might not satisfy you. I don't know why your prayers aren't answered the way you want. That's my answer. I don't know. I wish they were. But I do know something. We leave ourselves and we leave our prayers in the hands of a God who Scripture tells us loves us. And He is above us. And He is greater than us. And He cares about us. Because at the end of all of your praying, things are still going to happen. People still die. People lose their jobs. People don't get the house that they thought they wanted. And at the end, when everything is stripped away, there is nothing but God. And you will find at that point that that is enough. When you have lost everything, you will find that God is the only thing. You might be married, you might have a loved one, but you do know your loved ones can leave you. Or you will lose them. This is the reality of life. Everything will slip away except God. So back to our house. Mrs. Womack's in tears. I'm working here. I'm trying to get to know you guys, trying to hold her up. And then we find that we get a buyer for our house. And then Mrs. Womack has this beautiful house picked out, which we ended up getting, which we live in now. And it's happily ever after. But the point is that sometimes it's not till something is over that you can look back and say, God is good. And I would not have had that any other way. If I had known at the beginning what was going to happen way over here at the end, I would have prayed at the beginning for the end that happened. As painful as it was, as hard as it was, as many tears as I shed, as many times as I held up that checkbook, enticing all of those realtors with my $500. Look at that. You want that? You want that? Still, at the end, I ended up in a good house. So I guess in a way that's a happily ending story. But what if I had ended up poorly? It still would have been that God was good. There's a great Ellen White quote which says something to the effect that if we could see the end from the beginning, we would ask for nothing else than the way that it happened so that at the end we could look back and say, to God be the glory. Because the way you are with your, your love, your patience, your caring, your wisdom, you achieve that by going through life's trials and struggles. If you want to get strong in the gym, you got to lift weights. you got to go through some sort of growth to get stronger and bigger. You want to lose weight, you got to deny yourself some treats. You want to make money, you got to hustle. You want to get to know God? You've got to open up this Word. There ain't no other way around it. And you've got to pray. So some questions as I end. 
Do you pray to get results? Or do you pray to find God and sense His presence in your life? If you pray to get results, you will be disappointed and you will give up. But if you pray to find God, in the end you'll never be disappointed. Because God says, the Bible promises, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. God asks us to pray not because He does not know our needs and He needs to be informed, but God wants us to understand our need of Him. God does not need us. We need God. God is the only thing worth praying for. So you think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed. And and Elijah prayed seven times. Jesus prayed three times. Father, if it's possible, may this cup be passed and taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he got up and he went and found the disciples sleeping, and it says he went back and prayed again. Same prayer. He got up again, then he went back again. He prayed three times until there was an angel there. He was sweating blood, and the angel strengthened him. And his prayer wasn't answered in the way that he had said. Father, take this cup from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So we pray. We pray with confidence, not because we see the results always of what we ask for, You pray for a car, you get a car. You pray for a girlfriend, guys, you get a girlfriend. You pray for a new job, you get a new job. I wish it was that easy. It's not. But we pray, God, show yourself to me in my life. Show up, not as I will, but as you will. And that's how Elijah could stand before a king who it says was worse than any other king before him, and he could say, You better take off because I hear the sound of a heavy rain. God has not answered this yet, but I know He's going to. Not because I know me, but because I know God. And And then in the very next chapter, you see Elijah taking off and laying down to press and saying, Oh God, I'm all by myself. There isn't anybody but me. And he hides in a cave. So you see his humanness. So Elijah was a man just like us. He's human. He's frail. So we don't cling to our humanness, we cling to our great God. So whatever struggles you have, your confidence is in Him. Our faith is not in the clouds that you might see, it's not in the signs that you think are out there, but it's in His promises. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And we trust what He says and we pray until the answer comes. And in all things, we give thanks to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So whatever is on your hearts and your concerns, pray. Pray for what you want, but in the end say, Lord, not what I want, but what you want. Give me you, God. Give me more of the Holy Spirit. Give me more of your presence to bend me and make me and mold me and shape me into the person you want me to be. 
Because it's not about me. It's not about the house I'm living in. This house is a bunch of sticks and bricks and mortar. It's not about my checkbook with 500 bucks in it. That goes up and down, doesn't it? You ever looked at your checkbook? Well, don't look at mine. It's embarrassing. But let me look at yours. In fact, why don't you give me your ATM card and the PIN number, and I'll take care of it for the day. I'll give it back. God bless you. Pray. Pray earnestly. But pray to find God. May your courage be strong. Hebrews chapter 4 says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. So may your prayers this week be filled with boldness, not because of you, but because the one who calls you is loyal and faithful to answer. So God bless you this week. Let us pray together. Our Father, we come together. We thank you. We ask you to fill our cup. Bless each one here. Bless the moms and dads and grandparents and children. Thank you for our VBS. Thank you for those who are traveling, for those who've lost loved ones, for silent requests upon our hearts. Fill us. Give us the grace and the holiness of the Holy Spirit. May we cling to the promise, never will I leave you, forsake you. Bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. And one prayer has been answered. If you're